Welcome to Blooming, a podcast by 20-somethings for 20-somethings, navigating how to grow up. I'm Tessa. And I'm Britt. And we'll be your co-hosts. This week we, and when I say we, I mean I, will be talking to Tessa about her health journey throughout her 20s. But first, Tessa, how is your week? My week has been good. Firstly, you'll be so proud of me. Our little bud, my bloom plant, is alive and well. Absolutely thriving. No (laughs) new leaves yet, but... I'm going for it's thriving. I've been a very diligent plant mom. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, and you know what? I think Bud should be our mascot. It's a big call, but I think I'm ready. That is a big call. I'm proud of you for taking on that commitment. Um, We'll have to check back in with you and Bud in future episodes. I can name drop Bud as much as you name drop Nala. (laughs) Okay, shots fired. (laughs) Um, Also, we need to address some feedback on our story polls last week. Firstly, well, firstly, I love how many of you are getting involved with our little polls every Monday. So yeah, love that for keep us. Keep that coming. I also love how many of you admitted to being criminal offenders of the dance floor shimmy. And also, so far, everyone in our blooming community has still been using the laughing, crying face instead of the skull. So, yep, we're all in this together. I don't feel so old. I'm among friends. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, but oh my God, half of you think it's okay to put your clothes. Um, they get rained on away because it's counted as a second rinse. I don't understand. Like towels and sheets smell so musty after being rained on. Well, mine weren't towels or sheets. They were clothes. Okay. And I'm not going to lie, I did put them away. Like don't judge me, but they didn't smell <laughs> and they weren't musty or anything. They were fine. So they are hanging nicely in my cupboard with all their clothing friends and they are Gucci. Mm, They're fine. Y'all are so nasty. Um, But also, you're calling me nasty. You're the one who asked me about my week and you've just (laughs) gone on this huge tangent. Don't be so rude. I want to talk about me, please. Sorry, sorry. Not that that I'm doing enough of that in this episode already. (laughs) Sorry, continue. Well, yes. So I spent the weekend away at Coolum. Um, Not for Valentine's Day. Just a disclaimer there. I do not like Valentine's Day. I'm not that kind of girl. Not romantic at all. But if you do, good for you. Um, But yeah, we did. Like JJ and I went and we like went completely phone free, which was so nice. Like our schedules have been so busy lately. It was really good to just like be in the moment and like be with each other and just enjoy the beach environment. And yeah, I feel like it was really nice. And I want to do phone detoxes and like social media detoxes. I feel a like in more. a way that's a val- that's your own Valentine's Day though because you're still spending one-on-one time with your partner. Like, but it's why? just a coincidence. We didn't like look at the dates and think let's book this for Valentine's Day. We booked it and then we were like, oh, the Sunday is Valentine's Day. Like it's not okay. – yeah, it's not like a thing. Don't make it a thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing, Brett. Sure. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but other than that, nothing new to report. How about you? You can finally talk about your week after trying to interrupt mine. I'm sorry. Okay, yes. Uh, this week we caught up with some friends for dinner. It was a Lunar New Year special set menu and it was delicious. What is that? Is that Chinese food? I think it's like a fusion. Oh, Asian okay. fusion. It's that Yum. new um, Southside. Oh, I'm so keen. On the Southside of Brisbane. <laughs> it's called Southside. This is going to be old news by the time this episode comes out, but I also found potentially the greatest video to circulate the internet. 
this lawyer in Texas accidentally activated a cat filter during the court hearing during a court hearing over Zoom. If I was sent this by so many people. It's so <laughs> I'm sure funny. you've all seen it. I just want to come together and laugh at how amazing this video is. If you haven't seen it, we'll like have to put it on our stories or something. <laughs> Try and get it out there because it's such a lull. It's just so funny. The lawyer, like his little eyes is the cat looking down and he's like he says, I'm here live and I'm not a cat. It's just <laughs> I know, and the judge is like, I can see that. Like what? <laughs> Did the judge think that a cat had turned up to, to the court hearing? Like, and it's a, it's so funny that it was followed by a tweet from the judge um, from the hearing saying, "Important Zoom tip: If a child uses your computer before you join a virtual hearing, check the Zoom video options to be sure filters are off." This kitten just made a formal formal announcement on a case on the three hundred and ninety fourth. Yeah, I know. It was like hard to take seriously. How are you going to take a lawyer seriously who's dressed up as a kitten? Yes, you definitely need to see this video if you haven't. All right, now it's time for our adulting wins and adulting fails from the week. I'm going to start with a win from our blooming community to Yay. take the edge off my fail this week, lol. Um, so Lorraine sent in that she ate the leftovers in her fridge instead of buying takeaway. Brett, you'd be very proud. I am so proud. I'm so glad people are taking on the bougie on a budget challenge. You'll be less proud of me though. Oh no. Let's hear it. So my fail is my fingernails. Don't look at them. I know you're going to look at them now. I am. Don't look at them. Um, so I never get them done because they're so weak to begin with. So I just stop looking at them. <laughs> um, so I just paint them myself. I'm going to like hide them under the table. Um, <laughs> you're a child. <laughs> anyway, so this week I had like beautifully pink nails and like emphasis on had the past tense there because I was too lazy to remove my nail polish and then it just started to get a little bit worse for wear. And so I just picked it and I started picking it off and then that made my nails even more weak and then they all snapped off and now they're disgusting mm. and it's my own fault and I'll never learn you don't need here. to hide them from me I do that every time I always make the mistake of getting schlack and then I don't want to spend the money to get it taken off mm. and I just pick it off but mine was just normal nail polish I didn't have to mm. pay I just had to go to the bathroom and get my oh nail my polish removed. oh okay yeah mine you are was so just, slack I know it's so embarrassing don't look at me <laughs> I can't um but anyway I'm hoping that you can uh, redeem my uh, fail and your last week's effort with a win. Okay, so yes, I do have an adulting win this week. Yay! So I um, needed to get some wine to like on Friday afternoon. For um, your cheese board and Merlot. Yes, that's it. Correct. Um, and I was just going to stop at like the bottle on my way home, but I um, have been using Shopback. Oh, yeah. Is it good? Yeah. and I so just, It's too good to be true. This has got to be a catch. Surely. I'm just going to make use of it while I can until I find out what the too good to be true part is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they it popped up with a notification saying that um, first choice had a special on shop back and I was like cool I'll have a look and so I look at you bargain hunter I know well yes I'm on a tight budget <laughs> but I um select they had like $10 bottles of wine that were marked down from like $19 or whatever and I feel like $19 wine is usually decent I don't drink wine so I have no concept of like what the normal price should be onwards so I put a few in my cart I got like three bottles for $10 so wait three for 10 no, sorry. Um, three, three for 10 each. Yeah, yeah, so $30, which is still a bargain. Um, and I 
put it in my car and did click and collect. So I thought I would go. And so this is like, meanwhile, I'm literally going through the checkout at 5 p.m., like mm-hmm. leaving work at 5 p.m. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have probably have to wait around for a bit or like first choice is only just around the corner from me. So maybe I'll go home and then go back out when it's ready. Yeah. Um. So like, am I even saving myself time? Probably not. But like was definitely saving myself some money. Um. And then I like started driving home and I got the notification to say that it was ready for pickup, like How literally good. 20 minutes later. So yes, big win. Save some time and some money. Just um, made my Friday afternoon much smoother. Claps all around for you. Thanks. Okay, so as we mentioned in our intro, today we are talking to Tessa about the struggles of dealing with health issues in your 20s. But first, she'd just like to say something. Yeah, so before we want to jump into this chat, firstly, I'm like a little bit nervous about it, so (laughs) bear with me. But I just want to say that I'm in no way, shape or form a medical professional. I have no training and can give no recommendations. As you'll hear, my personal case is quite complex and unique. And so if you are experiencing any symptoms, we urge you to visit your GP to discuss. Um, This is just my story and my experience. And as we are all unique individuals, you will be different to me. I do hope, though, that my story can provide some information and encourage you to advocate for your health and visit doctors if you feel like something isn't right. I also want to say that while I'm going to try and be as open and honest here, it is quite intimate to share um, these kind of details. And as such, there are things that I'm going to keep personal. There are also so many layers to this as well. And so unless you want to listen to a, a million hour long episode, I've chosen just a few things to go into. I also don't want this to come across as me looking for sympathy or anything like that. This is just a very small part of who I am and what my life is. It can be an isolating experience dealing with health issues in your 20s and I just hope that by sharing it can help someone else to feel seen. Okay, so let's start with a little bit of backstory. Can you give us a rundown of your health history? Yep, so as the title of this episode suggests... I've been called a complicated case or a unique case or a special case by many doctors and specialists in my life. So I have a lot of things going on in my medical history that either don't make sense or doctors can't seem to join the dots on, including things that a person my age just like shouldn't have. Mm. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess I'd rather be complicated than boring, right? (laughs) (laughs) Lol, BRB crying. Um, (laughs) Looking at the positive side though. Yes, exactly. So I was always probably like a little bit of a sensitive kid, you could say, like in terms of I had like asthma and eczema and allergies, but otherwise relatively healthy. But when high school hit, there were a few more bumps in the road. Um, So puberty, love that for us. Uh, That well and truly hit and I got my delightful period, which I'll speak (laughs) to more later. And then when I was 16, a lot of things escalated quite quickly, you could say. And so it took about a year for doctors to figure out what was going on with me. And it just like didn't make sense. So some doctors thought I had depression. Others thought that the step from grade 10 to grade 11 was just like a lot and it was overwhelming. Neither of these things I like in my heart or like in my body felt was true. Like I just didn't, didn't sound right to me. So we just kept going back to doctors until we got some answers, which we did, which was good. Um, 
So essentially, I had a severe B12 deficiency and an inflammatory bowel disease that was causing a range of symptoms and just had me overall really run down. So some of these symptoms included extreme fatigue, lack of energy, memory, memory, <laughs> memory loss, gut issues, and weight loss. But luckily, once we knew what the causes were, we were able to get on top of things. And although my gut has probably still never been right since, um, all in all, like I can't complain. Most of that stuff's managed. Okay. So when did you first realize that your body wasn't quite functioning how it was supposed to be? Well, I guess like grade 11 was the big one for me there. The B12 deficiency in particular hit me hard. So that was mostly the fatigue that made me first kind of be like, Mm. okay, something's not right. But then again, I guess for the longest time, I just like thought it was normal. So in a way, it still is just my normal. And other than missing more school than the average teenager, I just didn't really think much of it. I didn't necessarily realize this wasn't what everyone else my age was doing or going through. Like I feel like in a way when you're in high school, a lot of kids around you, like we're all like, oh, we're so tired. Life is so hard. of so many assignments. Exactly. (laughs) And you do have like a lot going on. It's like a really big development developmental like stage in your life especially like senior years 11 and 12 um but the other thing was my parents also were very conscious about letting me live just a very normal teenage life I didn't really feel like I was missing out on much like they still let me go to social activities and do extracurricular activities like if I wanted to do it they let me do it Mm. okay so 16 is quite young a little baby little baby tessa how did you like did you struggle with um being sick at such a young age really if i'm being honest i actually think in many ways i found it easier being young and dealing with the health issues than i do now i think this is kind of mostly because most of that responsibility and in hindsight worry was on my parents not me i think they also tried to hide their worry Um, from me and I just never really questioned that I wasn't going to be okay but I know that it did worry my parents a lot that maybe I wasn't going to be so my beautiful mum also kept track of all of my doctor's appointments like would take time off work to cart me to and from and come into appointments with me because like medical jargon is a lot and it would just go over my head and especially because I've already mentioned at the time my memory wasn't so good so she just like came in as a second set of ears and it was also really scary and intimidating going into all yeah, of these of course. doctor's appointments also um, Kate Charter's getting another mention I know she's an <laughs> angel and so so yeah, she would also go and get my medication and foot the costs. So mm. I'm like so, so appreciative of that and like 100% want to check my privilege because I know how lucky I am that I had her and like my parents' support and like their financial support because like how else was I going to deal with that? Um, and so I think like as bad as it sounds, me being young and naive, I just kind of thought like, yeah, it sucks. I'm not feeling great, but also being taken out of school for appointments is kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So having said that, let's skip forward a few years. How has um, dealing with your health been in your twenties and coming along with that, like organizing all the appointments and taking on the financial burden? Yeah. So most of what I mentioned earlier is now really well managed. Thank Mm. goodness. So once they figured out what the causes were, I've been able to stay on top of it with the help of like medication and appointments when needed. 
I also have had a few weird and wonderful health things happen in my 20s, but all in all, like, can't complain. It was definitely rougher in high school than it is now, I'd say. And then, yeah, there is, like you mentioned, taking on more of that load from my mum and my parents as I've grown up. And that's like, yeah, like my job and my responsibility being an adult, like I do need to take it on like my parents can't look after me forever and so these days with that I do get way more appointment fatigue with like my increased adulting responsibilities than I used to but like we still make it work it's still fine and my yeah like I said angel mum still comes to any appointments where I'm like scared and she has to come and hold my hand so So at least I have that support system really lucky that most of what I was dealing with his resolve, or not resolved, but is being managed. A few things that I still do struggle with are my really severe gut issues, suspected endometriosis, and I say suspected because I've never had a laparoscopy to confirm the diagnosis. And then more recently, some anxiety, which I'm managing, but I also like feel like all things considered isn't surprising that it's something that I'm now yeah. dealing with. Like it's just I feel like everything's built up and yeah, so Yeah, I think that's understandable. Do having all these like moving parts to your health issues impact you living your life as a 20-year-old? I mean, in some ways, I guess so, but in other ways, not really. Like I've never wanted it to define my life and define what I'm doing and my choices. So I do kind of just grin and bear it, like get on with it. Like I'm probably now more likely to be like, if I'm having a really bad flare up, be like, okay, no, I'm not going to go to this and just like sit through it if it's not important. Or the other thing is like dealing with, like lots of eating out and things like that because my gut is so sensitive and all of the alcohol, if like sometimes, I don't know, my body just will reject anything I put in put in me. That's gross. But yeah, so I think there are like bits and pieces of life in your 20s that make it more complicated. Um, but yeah, I just like, like I said, I don't want it to be the defining feature of my life. And so I just, no. just keep on keeping on. Yeah. Okay, so you just mentioned before having suspected endo. Can you explain what um, suspected endo actually means? So I have suspected endo, which means I haven't had the surgery to confirm the diagnosis. So surgery is a really complex thing for me to personally commit to, but I think it might be like a common way for people to feel. So for me, so many doctors have disregarded my symptoms or have just said I have a low pain tolerance or that it's all in my head. And because of this, I think in like some ways I've just been gaslit. So like on the flip side, I will say that I've also had so many amazing doctors who have listened to me, respected me, believed me and reassured me. But I don't want to put myself through surgery for them to open me up and say like, surprise, you don't actually have endo or like if you don't have endo, then what the hell are these symptoms coming from? Like where are they coming from? It just like puts more question marks over it or like they go in and there's nothing there and all those doctors who questioned me were right. Um, So it's like easy for me to think, oh, well, like maybe this is just what everyone's periods are like, even though I know that's not true. Surgery is just then a big mental hurdle for me. So Obviously, if the doctors tell me I need to do it, I, of course, will. But right now, my symptoms are pretty well managed. And until they aren't, I don't want to put my body through that until it's absolutely necessary. But again, that's just my opinion. And I'm so impressed and amazed and inspired with everyone who does go ahead with the surgery because I feel like they're just so brave. Um, With all that being said, I do present as what they call like a textbook case for endo regarding both my symptoms and my family history of it, which increases the likelihood that I will have it. So I just kind of wanted to make that clear 
that I don't have an official diagnosis before I speak to it. But essentially, the doctors treat me like I have endometriosis. My like action plan, treatment plan is all around having endometriosis. So I guess I can talk to it, but sometimes it does make me feel like a fraud that I don't have an official diagnosis. Yeah, so endo is unfortunately quite common with one in nine Australian women suffering from this disease and symptoms often starting in the teenage years. I feel like endo awareness has definitely increased in recent years with celebrities and influencers speaking publicly about their experiences with it. For example, Sabo Skirt co-owners Thessian Yota, Triple J host Bridget Hustwaite and fashion icon Alexa Chung, just to name a few. Has this helped you open up conversations in your life? Yeah, so I think it's amazing that in the last few years, endo is being like more widely and openly discussed. And that's partly or mostly because it's more of a thing. And there are so many public figures coming up and coming out and sharing their experiences, which is like incredible and open so many doors. And yeah, what they've done for the endo community is amazing. But I also think it's in ways made it kind of like a sexy disease, which it definitely innocent there's nothing sexy about endometriosis and also kind of like a badge of honor so I don't think there's anything wrong with that I just think that because of this in my like particular like situation it means that endo I can talk the most openly about and the most honestly about because people have a better understanding of it because yeah they've heard all these different stories from yeah yeah um and so in a way I feel like even though I shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed of my other symptoms and the other things that I have going on I'm like less comfortable talking about those because they're not so widely discussed yeah like people just don't really understand what you're going through yeah and I think they could also just be like oh that's yucky or like whatever so yeah I just like feel like because of that and maybe one day people will talk about gut issues and anxiety in the same way I think anxiety is definitely going down that path as well um but yeah that's like kind of how I see it so I do really love that it's been talked about and that there's so much more awareness it's like completely great and it has opened up conversations but in ways it just like makes me hide the other things a little bit more Hmm. I'm sure you and many other women in their 20s with endo feel there's extra question marks around the possibility of having children in the future. Does this play on your mind and how do you deal with this? Yeah, so it does weigh on my mind in particular, I think, for my case because so my mum had really, really severe endometriosis, um, like one of the worst cases they've seen in Queensland. She really struggled to have kids because of it. So like, yes, me and my siblings are little miracle babies. Um, So like for context, it took her, like there's a big gap between my sister and I and so it took her like, many, many years to fall pregnant with my sister. And then they thought that it would just clear it out because having kids can like kind of clear out your endo a bit. But yeah, then she just, again, couldn't fall pregnant for, she had me eight years after my sister. And then my brother came along like pretty quickly afterwards, but knowing how long it took her to have kids, I'm like, well, if I don't get started quickly, I'm going to run out of time. Mm. I mean, even though that was a while ago and like medicine has advanced so much, there are like so many other options you can take and things you can do. It is something that's kind of like always in the background of my mind. I'm going to like tell a particular story that might like relate to this. So when I was 21, I saw a specialist who started talking to me about getting pregnant as soon as possible and about if I wasn't going to do that to freeze my eggs, which was like 
really, really confronting at such a young age. And I was also single and freezing eggs. My understanding of it is they work better if they've been fertilized, but I wasn't with anyone. And also at 21, who are you going to be like, hey, um, we're dating. Maybe you could fertilize you my eggs fertilize and have babies, my eggs? <laughs> um, which is like a lot. And so like I was just hysterical at this point. Yeah. Like it was really, really overwhelming. I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? I ended up mum being, mum was like, why don't you just go and get a second opinion? Because that might be one yeah. professional's um, advice, but a different professional could be completely different. So that's what I did and was advised that this wasn't necessary, but it was like such a shock to the system. Yeah. Um, no 21-year-old expects to hear that in a doctor's appointment. Oh, you exactly. need to go freeze your eggs. Yeah, or it's like start having kids now. now. And Stat. I'm like, with who? <laughs> like, what do you want me to do here? I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, I think like for people with endo, having kids, like I feel like everyone who, okay, that's a generalization, but lots of people who have endo are told that generally it's probably going to be or could be a struggle to try and have kids and that we won't know until we try like if it will work or not the other layer for me that is scary is in order for me to try and have kids I'll have to come off a lot of the things that I use to manage my symptoms and so I'm like oh my gosh if I have to go off the pill like I'm gonna get my old period back and I just don't know if I could like mentally or physically put myself through that yeah I think like to deal with this I've kind of changed the way my mind thinks about kids more generally um to be more along the lines of like well if kids is on the cards for me it will like it will happen if it's not meant to be then it's just not meant to be getting a bit deep here but um in some ways, I've never wanted to allow myself to picture what my life with kids would look like or put all my eggs in one kid-filled basket to protect myself from the pain and hurt caused if I end up not being able to have them. And I think it's like, I also know it's irrational, but I also think about like the pity I would receive from those around me if I thought it was, if they thought it was the like be all and end all for me to have kids and then it didn't happen. Like Mm. I don't want people to look at me with sad eyes and be like, oh my gosh, we know how much she wants kids. She can't have them like poor her. Like I don't want that sympathy. Mm. Um, And in saying that, I've never been like super maternal or into kids or like dying to be a mum to begin with. Um, so I think, but I've also, yeah, like completely reframed my mind and like how I feel about it to be more of, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I guess like from doing that now, I have no idea how I actually feel deep down about kids in general. Like who knows? I probably never will know. (laughs) Mm, I feel like that's a really mature mindset to have, but also like, I'm quite sad that you have to feel like that. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I just try and stay positive about it, I guess. Do you want to explain how that plays into your relationship? Yeah, so I did find someone who is super supportive and understanding about everything health-wise and, like, loves me regardless. Like, always asks questions about how my appointments have been and, like, is, like, yeah, just supports me no matter what. And so very, like, grateful and happy to have found him. But I do feel a lot of pressure around our timelines, though. So I've been advised that obviously the earlier I start trying kids the better my chances are to have kids and I obviously don't want to miss that window if we decide we do want to have kids but we are also very much not ready or in a position to want to have kids so like for context the doctors have said it's ideal if I start at 27 which is next year and that's not happening (laughs) so I feel like we're just so young and 
I don't want to make that decision yet, but I'm also starting to feel like I'm running out of time to wrap my head around wanting kids or not. And it's like really stressful. I think that's something a lot of 20 year olds would definitely be feeling though, like the pressure of timelines. We've spoken about this in previous episodes. And then you just have this extra layer of, you know, not only just the pressure of where your life is at, but the health issues on top of that and how they'll impact, impact you making your decision. Yeah, for sure. And I think like to be fair, we spend so much time in our 20s trying to not have kids. <laughs> no one knows when they come off birth control if kids is going to work for them. Like How long it will take. Exactly. And, like, there are so many issues other than endo that could mm. be an issue. So, really, no one knows if they're going to be able to have kids or not. Mine's just like, okay, yeah, it, it, it might be a struggle. Like, that's, yeah. like, something that I have to deal with. But I think, yeah, choosing to have kids is a really big decision and one that shouldn't be rushed. And it's a decision I don't want to make based like solely on this. Like this one factor in your life. Yeah, exactly. And like there's no point rushing into something because you feel you have to if it's not right for you and it's not like the right time. So I think that's like how I circle back to if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If we choose to have kids and the window is gone it's something like that we'll deal with when the time comes and there's obviously lots of different other routes you can take as well Mm -hmm. other routes (laughs) (laughs) that was unintentional but I like it (laughs) okay so you also touched on before using the pill to control the pain that comes with having your period let's talk about some of your experiences trying to control that pain yeah okay so I put up with my horrendous period and when I say like horrendous period it's horrendous from 13 to 15 and then as soon as I turned 16 I was can you explain what horrendous means yep for you because I feel like yep as someone Um, who doesn't really get mm -hmm. like I get occasional cramps or I'm like oh that bloody hurts but it's like probably nothing (laughs) 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 I'm so punny today (laughs) um yeah I just feel like it's going to be a bit graphic but if you don't care if you're not I want to know like I feel like it's interesting um really really bad pain obviously so cramps are one thing but like my cramps are so bad that they like physically like I'm down and out like they're so bad like I feel like I'm gonna die I'm not that's exaggerating but like um um, like fetal position on the floor yeah fetal position on the floor fetal position in the shower like lying in the shower having the water like fall onto my tummy um I like because of the pain will get really, really like sweaty because I'm so tense because of the pain as well. I'll get like back spasms because that's really bad. Um, The biggest thing for me is I have really heavy periods, which is what the doctors call flooding. So essentially my, I have really heavy periods and they don't clot. So um, this is really gross, but I would get like sleep wrapped in a towel. I would have to get up and change like sanitary like my pad or whatever overnight I'd have to set alarms to get up and change even if it was like like maxi or maternity pads um go through like a maxi tampon in like sometimes as little little as five minutes so what yeah like really really heavy um so that's probably like the heaviness was something that impacted me a lot because like I could stand up and then all of a sudden there'd be like blood everywhere and I'd be mm. like okay cool what do what do I do with this um, I also get like stabbing pains up up through me like a being some hand gestures happening yeah. <laughs> like I'm being like yeah like having a spiky metal pole shoved right up <laughs> me um I think 
Those are the main ones and also really low energy. And then because of the heaviness of the periods, I then got low iron. Mm. Um, So those are like my main symptoms. And I also get what I call ovary pain, but that's not the correct term for it. So it's um, because of how my body has been like dealt with all of this pain and chronic pain, um, I have an overactive pelvic floor. So then I get like, even if I'm not bleeding or whatever, I can still get pelvic floor pain, which is, again, just like cramps. Right. Um, okay. I know I asked for that and that was graphic, but yeah, I think it's important to explain. Yeah. Also, they lasted really long. So I would be bleeding for seven days. Yeah. Um, and it would be heavy for seven days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was put on the pill at 16 to try and manage these symptoms and to try and slow down slash prevent the endo um, for occurring from occurring, which is like my understanding of it. Um, For lots of people though, like the pill works wonders, does amazing things for them. Mine's just been like more of an interesting ride or journey. Um, Roller coaster. Yes. But in saying that I am like still a huge advocate for the pill because it's done so much good for me in like over the years. The reason it's been like a roller coaster or interesting ride for the pill is that my body is like extremely sensitive I guess it must be to the hormones of the pill. So it took me like numerous different pills, like trying numerous different pills before I got one, like landed on one that while didn't completely fix things was like a big step forward to from my normal period or any other pill that I'd taken at that time. So in doing that and trying so different, like so many different ones, I essentially like had spotting for like an entire year straight, like trying to like get one that did the right thing. Part of the doctor's plan for that was also for me to take the pill straight through. So I never got a withdrawal bleed because again, this is my understanding of it, but I might be wrong. Um, Every time I got my period, I could be making the endo worse. So they wanted to try and minimize the amount of times I got my period in order to try and keep the endo at bay. Um, But in saying that, because my body is so sensitive, if I tried to skip it more than two times, three, if I was lucky, my body would get it anyway. It would just Mm. come regardless. Um, (laughs) I see what's going on here. (laughs) And then um, I did and still do to this day have issues with spot bleeding um so this can either be like completely randomly out of nowhere it can be um stress related or it could be because if i don't take my pill at exactly the same time every day i'll get spotting like Mm. if i'm 10 minutes out i'll get spotting so like my body is just overly reactive and sensitive to it so yeah then as time went on and I just wasn't winning with this pill anymore my mum insisted I went off to see a specialist so that was in my very early 20s and like I'm surprised I wasn't sent earlier to be honest like having had your period since 13 um that they waited until I was in my early 20s to send me to a specialist I thought I was just having a heavy period she's what she's the person who coined it flooding that's when I first heard about flooding and she put me on two blood clotting tablets four times a day on the heaviest days of my period to help try and clot my blood. And this was like a real game changer for me. I don't know why no one didn't suggest it earlier or do it earlier. Don't get me wrong, period was still quite cooked. Like still had to use the maximum level of like sanitary stuff, Um, but it was much more manageable and it made decrease the amount of days that I was in pain for. Okay, so it sounds like you've got a lot going on there, especially as someone who's in their 20s with already a lot going on in their life. 
And then two years ago, is that right? I feel like I'm in a bit of a COVID time war. Yep, 2019. You were advised to try the marina in order to like reduce the pain and control the symptoms that you were experiencing each cycle. Can you tell us about what happened here and how your body reacted? So after being on the pill for so long, um, it kind of, yeah, like started to go a bit downhill again and like my spotting was all over the place because the lining of my uterus was too thin. My periods became irregular. My pain still wasn't being overly managed. And so my specialist at the time suggested the marina, like you said. Um, so for those who don't know what that is, it's a hormonal IUD and has like really high success rates um, with those suffering from endo. Um, those can either get placed usually if you haven't had kids they like to put you under general anesthetic to put those in um or if you've had kids they can just do it in the office because I have a retroverted uterus and I already have a very crampy uterus I went under for this again as I spoke to earlier surgery is like not really my vibe so I really struggled with agreeing to get this done um I didn't like the idea of having a foreign object in my body I didn't want to go under the anesthetic and like I had done a lot of research about Marina because she kind of brought it up a couple of times before we got to this point and while there are so many success stories there were also like so many horror stories mm-hmm. I also knew that my current pill obviously wasn't working very well but in saying that the pill like that pill had kind of because I'd been on it for so long it had kind of become my safety blanket mm-hmm. and so I didn't want to give it up because I was like well who knows what the Marina is going to do is it going to go back to like what, like, my what are you going to leave were? yourself vulnerable to yeah exactly obviously agreed to get it done um but I also agreed to stay on that same pill for the first three to six months to try and mitigate the like settling period that like comes a transitioning. it's like a transition yeah so yeah a lot of hormones I know but yeah so for like the first three to six months depending on your body you're likely to get some like settling symptoms such as cramps and spotting um yeah even being on the pill during that time I was experiencing way way worse symptoms than what I had like originally just on my pill and then also, I, I don't know if it was because of all the hormones of or what my body was going through, but I was so emotional, like hot, like cold-hearted bitch over here. Like I don't really cry. I was crying in ads. Like <sighs> I was just all over the place. I was an emotional wreck. I was like, what is wrong with me? I'm so <laughs> like I'm such a softie all of a sudden. Yeah, I kind of because I knew that there was a transitioning period, I kind of explained it away in yeah. that in that period. Like I was just like, better. yeah. And I was also like, okay, look, this thing's going to be in me for five years. If the first year sucks, I still get four amazing years. Like, like wait it out. Wait yeah. it out. It'll be fine. But also did go back to my specialist like multiple times during this period to be like, is this normal? Mm. I'm in pain. Send help. And she just prescribed me lots of pain meds and said, yeah, low pain tolerance, take all these pain meds, you'll be right, essentially. It's like, it's just settling. So I was like, okay, like, what else are you supposed to do? Like, you just take the words of the You don't argue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I couldn't be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, after like six months, I just felt like I wasn't winning. And so she suggested that I finally take the plunge and do the laparoscopy surgery, um, which I'd obviously been dreading for, like dreading for so many years. But I guess I was kind of just like at my wits end. Like I was just so over it all. Like 
I hadn't slept in six months because I was in so much pain and agony. If I did sleep, I could only be comfortable, like, not, and I wasn't even comfortable, but I could be the most comfortable if I was flat on my back, which, like, did wonders for my back, (sighs) for my back pain, obviously. I was having lots of irregular bleeding, like, I pretty much bled that entire time. And if, yeah, if I was desperate to manage the pain, which I don't really like taking heavy pain meds unless I absolutely have to. So if I was really desperate, I would take some of the heavy pain meds, um, but they just really made me feel worse. So even then I didn't do it that often. Um, And then I also had, like I was attached to my heat pack, like so severely that I actually like burnt my skin with it because it was so hot. Like I blistered all over my stomach because I'd like had it so hot. Um, And then I also changed up my exercise routine to try and be more gentle to my uterus. So for those, again, a bit graphic, if you don't know how the uterus works, it's like quite mobile in your body. So like if you're doing high intensity, high impact workouts, your uterus is bouncing around with you inside you. I'm literally imagining like a child in one of those like baby bounces. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess kind of. Yeah. Um, And so she's like, change your exercise, do more yoga and walking so that your uterus isn't bouncing the marinery around yeah. inside of you. What a what an image to have in yeah. your mind, right? <laughs> um, and, like, so I focused on more doing, like, stretching and, like, yeah, walking, yoga, m- like, meditation, mindfulness, that kind of stuff. Anything you can think of I did to try and, like, get on top of this and manage it. So what point did you go back and say, look, surely this is not... Right? Yeah. So booked in the surgery but because I was so stressed about the surgery and just wasn't like something just wasn't feeling right I had a gut instinct that something just wasn't right so I went back to my GP who she's just like amazing like such a good person to have in my corner and in hindsight like I'm such an idiot why did I not go back to her sooner but I just thought the specialist knows more about this stuff like I'll just stick with like her um, anyway, so she suggested getting a second opinion because she knew how stressed I was about the surgery. She's like, why don't you just get a second opinion? Your GP or the specialist? My GP. Okay. With another specialist, see what they say. So this was um, a specialist in Brisbane who she's amazing. I still see her to this day. But I also couldn't get an appointment for three months. So I was like, I can't do this for yeah. another three months. Um, and my surgery was booked in at that stage for like two weeks time. Yeah, um, right. So my GP was like, okay, well, let's go book you in with this new specialist. Let's go get an ultrasound. And just, she's like, as well, this doesn't seem right to me. So let's just go see what it's doing, see what it's up to. And yeah, this is where it gets interesting. So the ultrasound technician spent what felt like the longest time. I'm talking like close to an hour digging inside me with an internal ultrasound, trying to find my marina. So at this point, really clear that it was not where it was supposed to be. Um, So the marina is supposed to be placed like in your uterus. Mine, instead of being there, the central arm was in my cervical canal. The right arm was in my lower uterine segment and the left arm was in my cervical canal projecting into my cervical tissue at the left lateral edge. Okay, that was a that lot, is of, a jargon. lot of jargon. And I am I, not a medical professional. I can't tell you what that means, but essentially it was protruding into me and it was in the cervical canal, like in that tiny little like skinny canal okay. instead of in my like wide uterus. It was still connected. It's, like, it's it was still intact. No, like oh, your marina. The marina. Okay. It was like sideways. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah, got it. Different parts of me. Yeah. 
So, like, long story short, the symptoms I was experiencing was not actually the marina settling like I thought, but the marina expelling, which is, like, not very common to happen. your body trying to get the marina out. Yeah. So, essentially, I laboured the marina out over six months. Mm. Um, And I don't want to compare that to childbirth because childbirth is... Very whole different very, whole game. different ballpark, but um, <laughs> it was literally my body was pushing out this little device. Yeah, um, and kind of so, like what we spoke about in the episode with Gabby, like her body was rejecting yeah. the breast implants. Yeah, and so apparently because my uterus is retroverted and because I'm so young, um, that's more likely to happen. And it doesn't mean that having a marina in my future might never be not, might never work for me. But if I was to do it again, they just make sure to get scans more regularly and. Keep an eye on that yeah. thing, that thing. Yeah, and now that I know what the expulsion feeling feels like, I can be like, "Hold up, this isn't right." Whereas I'd never experienced anything like the, that before, so I didn't know it wasn't normal. Yeah. I was like, "Well, this just could be what this is like." Yeah. Um, but yeah, so ended up going back to my original specialist who could see me ASAP so that she could remove it, mm-hmm. and then. Yeah, but while I was there, cancelled my laparoscopy, cancelled all future appointments with her and just never went back because I was like, I don't want someone cutting into me who didn't even check if it was in the right spot first. Yeah, like, that's fair. Yeah, so this was just my nightmarish experience. Um, I've since then gone to the new specialist, changed to a new pill, and while it hasn't been all rainbows and butterflies ever since, it's definitely been like a massive improvement. That's good to hear. I have definitely heard my share of good and bad stories with the marina, so that one was definitely an interesting it was one to know. A unique case, a as unique they case. say. <laughs> okay, so going back to your health more generally, I can imagine it must be super frustrating to have all these medical conditions and appointments and talking to so many different professionals but not have all the answers. Can you talk to that? Yeah, it It is frustrating. It's also a very big financial commitment. Um, Mm. But, I mean, we're also incredibly lucky in Australia to have access to the healthcare that we do. But sometimes, yeah, when I don't have the answers, it can feel like I'm wasting time or money or resources. And it's also so draining. And I'm like, when do I just say enough is enough? This is what my life is. This is, like, how I'm going to live. And I just deal with it. Um, but then I think all, and I, well, I also think that not having all the answers does make it harder to talk about and explain because people will be like, oh my gosh, why are you so bloated? And I'm like, well, I'm not pregnant, but I don't know why I'm so bloated. Like my body just hates food. Um, and so it does make it like a little bit harder to explain to people when you don't have the answers. I do just like have to remind myself though, that every opinion I get, like everything I try, every test I take, like it just rules out another thing. Um, and like, I guess takes me a step further to knowing what is actually going on. So you do feel like it, it's worth it. Yeah, I do think it's worth it. I think like I'm quite a proactive person and if I just was to stop or give up, I wouldn't like mentally be able to keep doing it like as well as I'm like dealing with it now. Mm. I mean, maybe when I'm old and on my deathbed and have no answers, I might be like a bit pissed off that I spent (laughs) all this time and money. But for now, I feel like, yeah, and look, that could change. But for now, I feel like, yeah, it's worth it. What have been some of the challenges that have come with all these medical, dealing with all these medical conditions in your 20s? 
Yeah, so like I said in a question earlier, I try not to let it impact my like day-to-day life, so social life, work life, um, like keeping myself active and healthy, that kind of stuff. I think the challenges, though, are mainly mental hurdles. So I like, again, me being proactive, so it's like a blessing and a curse. I push and I push and I push, and when you don't have answers, sometimes you just want to give up. So I find a way to deal with this is when I'm really drained from all my appointments or like from trying new things. Sometimes I take like a bit of a break and let my symptoms just run a little wild until I have the energy to pick it back up again. I think as I mentioned as well, a lot of my endo stuff symptoms can pop up if I'm like stressed or anxious and the pain pathways are all a bit cooked because how my body has been like conditioned to feel pain from having something that's chronic. And so if I'm mentally not at my best, I can't physically like push through as well. So I think that's like when my body is telling me, okay, you need to chill, take a step back, like let's hit reset. I think, I guess for endo, it's a bit easier because the choice to have a diagnosis is in my hands. Like I could go in, have the laparoscopy, no either way. I think it's a bit harder for my gut issues because that's probably where more of the question marks are. And so I probably struggle more and more with that and like not having the answers to that. Are there any particular ways that you've found useful in managing your symptoms? Yeah, so I think I've kind of like ticked off how I manage all the suspected endo stuff and a lot of what I did in the marina incident, I still do now. So changing my exercise, stretching more, doing more low impact stuff um, and the new pill and the new pills actually made it so I can go off the blood clotters, which is like awesome. But gut wise, it's really trial and error. So I can manage it almost completely by having a super strict and restrictive diet, but it's not at all maintainable or sustainable with like lifestyle in your twenties, like going out to social events and like having all these things on. Like I just, yeah, I I couldn't live to the strict diet and it would just make me miserable. So I'm currently working with a naturopath, which is a new thing for me, which is like lots of different supplements, but um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So I would recommend going to see a naturopath if you're like experiencing similar gut issues. I won't go into like all the different supplements that they have me on and all of that because it's like a very tailored approach and plan that's specific to me. And it also gut issues are very related to endo. So if you have gut issues, but not endo, you wouldn't be on the same thing mm. as I am. Um, and also it's like still very early days. So I don't really want to like recommend all these things if I don't know if they're working or not like I've seen improvements but still a long way to go that's fair enough okay so how has your perspective on your health changed over the years so through your 20s and have you come to terms with it a bit more I've learned to laugh because if I don't, I'll cry. (laughs) Um, But that's not to say I don't cry because I'm human and I have emotions and I do cry. And sometimes I do get frustrated and angry and overwhelmed and feel like my body's letting me down or not working how it's supposed to. But I also make a really conscious effort to not let it impact or define my life or relationships. Like I don't want the main story of my life to be my health or like to be known as the sick girl or like to have anyone who like looks at me and all they see is, oh, she's like got this wrong with her or this wrong with her Um, because like it's just like a small part of who I am. Like it's not a defining personality trait or like characteristic it's like just a little window of a lot of tessa so in saying that like over the years I've definitely also focused more 
on my mental health side of things and mindfulness when it comes to managing it all. So I meditate and I practice gratitude and like I just be thankful for what I do have and remind myself that there is always someone who has it worse. Um, Though I want to acknowledge that your problems are exactly that. They are yours and they just like, I don't think they should be compared to anyone else's. Um, like, so like it's important to recognize that everyone's feelings are valid and just because someone might have it worse off than you do doesn't mean you can't have your feelings and like have a silk and have a cry and be mad at the universe because that's completely justifiable. Um, I just think it's important to have those moments, do that and then pick myself back up and keep moving forward. Like being sad about it isn't going to change what it is. Um, it is what it is regardless. And I just want to live my very best life, like with or without it. Okay. Final question. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone navigating any type of health issue in their twenties? Um, I firstly want to say like, it's important to know that you're not alone. If you're experiencing it, there's likely someone else out there who's experiencing it as well. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to speak about this. And I'm sorry that you're going through it because it sucks. I know how much it sucks. I think though, the biggest piece of advice I have is to just be your own biggest advocate. Like if things aren't right in your body, you know your body. So keep pushing, keep going back to the doctors, keep advocating and standing up for yourself. Switch doctors if you need to, demand to see a specialist like whatever you have to do do it um my mom has always been a huge advocate for me and refused to take no for an answer she kept taking me back to doctor's appointments until we found answers in high school and now I'm doing the same yeah I think that's really important well thank you so much for sharing your story with us today um I've definitely found it very interesting learned some new things about you that I didn't know (laughs) you're welcome I also hope that I haven't bored you all. Like I know I'm a lot. (laughs) A good amount of Tessa. (laughs) And finally, let's talk Adulting 101, our weekly resource or recommendation that we found helpful in navigating our 20s. Britt, what have you got for me? Okay, this week I am recommending a natural deodorant. Have you ever tried a natural deodorant, Tessa? Absolutely not, because I'm a very sweaty person and I am way too scared. (laughs) Um, Well, it's funny that you say that. So, yes, natural deos can be hit and miss. I've tried a few now and I find a lot of the time they don't actually stop you from getting stanky, like you said, (laughs) i.e. perspirating, I think is the technical term. I think this is partly because I'd been using antiperspirant products for so long. So like the antiperspirant category of products uses ingredients designed to block your sweat pores. Um, So transferring to a natural deodorant can be frustrating because you think it's not working, but really your pores are blocked from the non-natural products. So like you need to wait for them to unblock. You need to like exfoliate. I'm pretty sure actually on a door they have this like mask for your armpits and stuff. I have heard though that you've got to use like the natural deo for a while. And like like, let your pores recover kind of. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. (laughs) Um, I was wearing a natural deodorant a few months back and was leaving work after a workout and ran into some colleagues and was so embarrassed because I could literally smell myself and like I'm a very sweaty person already and then on top of just like this deodorant not really working for me um so I knew they would absolutely be able to smell me too so of course I addressed it um to try and reduce my amount (laughs) of embarrassment (laughs) and my colleague actually said she'd found the same trying a few different natural deos but recommended this one called no pong yeah I've heard of this one 
So I actually forgot about the recommendation, but when you and I were talking about um, being more responsible with our retail purchases and like Brits list, um, it reminded me. And now I've been using it for a few days now. I had to wait for it to come in the mail. Um, But as the name suggests, it actually prevents me from being like a sweaty smelly mess at the end of the day that's good to know yeah they um also have a few different flavors so i'm currently using the original which is described as a gender neutral fragrance of lemongrass and citrus with a hint of vanilla Mm, interesting (laughs) delicious um and this but like this um flavor was based on my colleague's advice because she said she'd tried a few of their flavors and like this one the best well if it helps i can't smell you right now from here well there you go i think it's working (laughs) (laughs) no pong is also made in australia and certified cruelty free so yeah i would definitely recommend if you're looking to be more conscious with your um deodorant products Look, I want to say I'm going to add it to my list, but I'm not quite convinced yet. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You'll get me there one day, maybe. I want to, like, get Botox in my underarms to stop me from sweating. (laughs) Is that a thing? (laughs) It is a thing. Botox stops me from sweating, but then I'm like, my body actually needs to sweat. It does it for a reason, so probably shouldn't. Oh, my God. I'm literally (laughs) just imagining, like... Um, an armpit like tightened up like literally no armpit frozen (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay but what about you what's your resource this week so I wanted to bring to the table an adulting resource that was like relevant to my chat this week so it's Instagram page by Triple J host Bridget Husway the Instagram is called at endogram so it's just like a great source of awareness information and conversation about all things endo and it's taught me so much and it's real and it's raw and it's an honest representation of what like living endo can look like she's obviously a very severe case so I can't fully relate but it is so useful and helpful um she's also recently written a book which I haven't got my hands on yet because it's still on pre-order but I will read and I don't know maybe recommend in a future episode if I uh, like it but if it's anything like her Instagram it's going to be amazing There are, of course, like so many endo-based Instagram pages out there and so many good ones, but this is just one that like I relate to a lot and use as a resource and has some really cute imagery and things like that. So I reckon I'll share a few of like my favorite posts on our stories. Nice. I look forward to seeing those. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blooming and this week a lot of my voice. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been so interesting to hear the details of your health and how it's progressed through your 20s. I'm sure there's listeners who have gone through or are going through similar health conditions. If this is you, please reach out to us on Instagram at blooming.podcast. DM us your experience, thoughts on this episode or even what topics you'd like us to talk about in coming episodes. And you can also let us know by sharing a story of how you're listening or using one of our Adulting 101 resources and tagging us. We'd love to share your experiences on our stories. And as always, you can support us and help us grow our community of buds by hitting the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify and even maybe leaving us a rating or review. Chat next week, buds. Bye. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Did, Did you, you see, see that? that? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a. Ugh.